Well, again, happy Father's Day to all of our fathers. It's a blessing to be a father and a privilege to be a father as well. Fathers, uh, they play such an instrumental role in uh, the lives of their children. A father can lead his family towards God and his son, Jesus Christ. And today, I just want to speak value to all of our fathers here this morning uh, for a bit by just talking about a couple of numbers. And I believe these numbers can effectively show that you fathers out there, you have an immense value that no other human being can replicate. So all these numbers, they come from the Rochester Area Fatherhood Network. And so according to these guys, 43% 43% of U.S. children live without their father. That, that's uh, one of the most heartbreaking uh, statistics to me of this morning, that f- nearly half of the children in America live without their father. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes, five times the average. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes, 32 times the average. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes, which is 20 times the average. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes, 14 times the average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes, nine times the average. Children with fathers who are involved are 70% less likely to drop out of school. 85% of all youths in prison come from fatherless homes, 20 times the average. And 90% of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. These are some pretty telling statistics, pretty telling numbers, which indicate that all of our fathers here, you guys have immense value, not only in the lives of your children, but also in your spouses and those around you. And so I just want to speak value into you uh, this morning there with the simple telling of numbers. As again, I love numbers and dealing with numbers, and these numbers tell it black and white. I love stories that are black and white, and it is black and white in, in this situation. Children who are raised up in, in homes with fathers, they are, uh, I guess in summary, their, their, their circumstances are a lot better and which lead them to make better choices in their lives. And with that being said, I hope that all of you fathers out there enjoy your special today, day today as we celebrate Father's Day. I don't know about you guys out there, but uh, I have uh, some much needed rest on my agenda uh, for the day as we celebrate Father's Day today. And I also encourage you again as we celebrate Father's Day, remember that some of us, we, we, we may not have great fathers in our lives. Some, some men in here may wish that they were a father, but maybe aren't a father. But with, with all that being said, we all have a perfect heavenly father. And nobody can take that away from you. A father whose love for us is reckless. He will will chase us down, break down walls, tear down lies for us to seek him first and foremost. That's the father that we serve. That's the father who loves us so much. 
And so today, we aren't going to talk a whole lot about fathers, uh, but we are actually continuing our series on living like saints. As we've been going through this series uh, a couple of weeks now, last week, uh, we took a break from it as Jacob uh, stepped in as we were gone at the Young Adult Getaway. And so a huge thank you uh, to Jacob in, in delivering the morning message last Sunday. But today we pick up in our series, Living Like a Saint, as we are going through the book of Ephesians. As in the book of Ephesians, Paul urges you and I to live like a saint. And a refresher, a saint is just someone who lives differently from those around them. They are set apart. They are sanctified. And so you and I, we as Christians, we are saints. We are saints of the most high God. And so we have got to live like a saint. And so today we pick up in Ephesians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Ephesians. We'll be spending a whole time this morning dealing with Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to cover the whole chapter this morning. So in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul just got done in Ephesians chapter 2 talking about how we are all one in Christ, both Jew and Gentile, where previously there was a big barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles, but now through Christ, that barrier has been destroyed and we are all one. And so Paul continues and he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Let's pause there for a minute and and just break this down real quick. Ephesians is one of the four letters that Paul wrote in prison, along with the books of Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And so Paul here, he says that he is a prisoner for Christ. In other words, Paul is in prison because of Jesus Christ. As Paul, he was an advocate for the gospel message, the gospel message that, de- that Jesus died on the cross for, for their sins, that he was resurrected, and that he is coming back again to establish God's kingdom. That is the gospel message at its heart. And Paul was an advocate for this gospel message that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Christ, and he has come to save the world. And now the Jews who did not believe Jesus was the Messiah, they wanted no part of this. And so they insisted that Paul be in prison. And so before we know it, Paul is in prison. We know of at least twice because of his faith in Christ Jesus. I mean, that, that is crazy. We, we do not live in a society like that at all. Nobody will be put in prison solely because they believe that Jesus is the Christ. We don't have that in America. We are so far apart from that. I think maybe we're getting, we're inching closer to that, but yet we are still, we are, we are miles away from the society and the culture that Paul was living in where he was imprisoned simply because he believed that Jesus was the Christ and he was willing to proclaim and preach this gospel message to the people. But nevertheless, even though Paul was in prison, he continued to spread the gospel message to the Gentiles, something that the Jews were very, very uncomfortable with. And so Paul says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, a Gentile, someone who is not a Jew. And so Paul is in prison on behalf of you. He's in prison on behalf of you because he is spreading this gospel message, not just to the Jews, not not just to the children of Israel, but he's also spreading it to those outside of the children of Israel, outside of the children of Abraham. 
His heart was on fire. Being in prison, it did not stop Paul in his mission of spreading the gospel message as he had a very, very clear purpose in his life, and he didn't let anyone stop him in fulfilling that purpose. This church in the 21st century, it would be a dangerous church to mess with if we had that same sense of purpose that Paul had here in the first century. And so Paul continues, and in verses 2 and 3, Paul writes, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. How many of you guys like a good novel or movie that's a big mystery? Raise your hand. I'm, yeah, I was guessing a handful of us here. Th- those, those topics, that genre, it's pretty popular. Whenever a movie, a, a mystery movie comes out and the viewer has to guess who's the bad guy, you know, what, what exactly is taking place, it generally gets a lot of good reviews because people naturally like to solve mysteries. And here in verse 3, Paul introduces this idea of a mystery, And he says this mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. And so apparently, there's some sort of hidden information that not everyone is made aware of. But Paul is someone who has been revealed to this mystery. And Paul continues to talk about this mystery in in these coming verses. In verse 4, Paul writes, when you read this, talking about this letter, this letter that we are reading today in the 21st century. When you read this letter, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so Paul tells us that when we read this letter of Ephesians, we can be made aware of this mystery that other people don't know about. And in these two verses, in verses 4 and 5, we're given two clues about this mystery. The first clue about this mystery is that it is a mystery of Christ. And so one way or another, this mystery that Paul is talking about has something to do regarding Christ. Now, that could mean a lot of different things because Christ talked about a lot in his three years of his public ministry, and he accomplished a lot, and he is still at work today. And so that doesn't narrow it down a whole lot, but it has something in regards to Christ. That is the mystery of Christ. The second clue that we have in uh, verse 5 is that this mystery was not made known to previous generations. This mystery, for whatever reason, this mystery, it was not made known to Abraham. Abraham did not know about this mystery that Paul is talking about. Neither did Moses, someone that is highly revered for good reason too. Moses was not aware of this mystery. And neither David and neither of any of the heroes of our faith in the Old Testament. As Paul says, this is not, this is not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so previously, this mystery had not been revealed, but now, all of a sudden, in the generation of Paul, 
this mystery and whatever mystery he's talking about has been revealed to men. And so my mind, you know, it gets thinking, what, what in the world is Paul talking about? A mystery that's about Christ Jesus and a mystery that the previous guys didn't know. Apparently, Paul has some sort of secret information that not even Abraham, Moses, or David had. And we read in verse 6, some of you guys maybe already read ahead. You're so curious. You want to solve this mystery. Paul spills the beans in verse 6. Paul says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So again, this mystery, it's revolving around the Gentiles. You and I, we are Gentiles. We are not, well, I'm assuming none of us here are Jews by birth. And so we are Gentiles. And so this mystery is that you and I, we are fellow heirs with the Israelites. We are members of the same body. We are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so what that means to me is that all these different promises that God made to Abraham, that he made to Moses, that he made to David, that he made to Noah, and to to all these different figures in the Old Testament, we are partakers in those promises. So when God tells Abraham that his family is going to be mighty, that his family is going to inherit a land, I believe he's talking about you and I. When God tells David, when God tells David that, listen up, David, I'm going to raise up your offspring, and your offspring is going to be special. Your offspring is going to establish a kingdom that has no end. Recently, uh, spent some time, uh, after the young adult getaway, spent some time in uh, Hell and Head with my family and some friends, and I got a friend that's into history, and he recommended hardcore history podcast and looking at some of the great dynasties of the past. But in all of these different uh, empires that I learned about on my way home from Hilton Head, not one of them stand today. All of these different kingdoms, all of these different nations had an end, but there is coming a kingdom, a throne that will have no end. And because of what Paul is writing here about You and I, we can be a part of that. We can be a part of that kingdom, of that nation, of that inheriting that land that has no end. We are fellow heirs. A similar idea to uh, two weeks ago when talk about we are one in Christ. There is no longer a division. There is no longer a barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul talks about this uh, in detail in in the book of Galatians and and how he talks about if we belong to Christ, if we are Christ, then we are Abraham's offspring. In essence, through Christ, you and I, we are children of Israel. We, we, We are the chosen people of God through Christ. Christ gives us that entrance. Christ gives us that access where we are now all members of the same bodies and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, the gospel message that Jesus died for our sins, the gospel message that Jesus was resurrected, that he rose victoriously from death, and the gospel message that one day Jesus is coming back to establish God's kingdom here 
on earth. What a glorious, amen indeed, what a glorious day and age that will be. So we continue in uh, verse 7 here, and, and Paul writes, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And so here, Paul, he's saying that this gospel, this gospel message that Gentiles, this mystery that Gentiles are plugged in uh, with, the, uh, with the Jews, Paul here is saying that he, is, he was made a minister of this message according to the gift of God's grace. As you and I, we've talked about this before, we, we, we all deserve death, nothing more nothing less. Anything more than death that we receive, it's all due to God's grace. And according to God's grace, undeserved favor, when we receive stuff that we don't deserve, it's according to God's grace that Paul was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. And so Paul is given the task of sharing this news. And remembering this, remembering this fact that, that Paul didn't deserve this, Paul says that he was the least of all the saints. You know, a kind of a play on words as uh, his Roman surname, Paulus, which means little. And so he was the least of all the saints. As Paul, he was not someone who accepted this mystery easily. Not at all. When we look at the life and the ministry of Paul, before Paul was ever a devout follower of Christ Jesus, do you know what Paul did with his life? Paul was a Pharisee, a strict Pharisee who abided strictly by the law of Moses, and he persecuted anybody who believed that Jesus was the Christ. Paul did not accept this truth very easily. And that should not be a surprise to us that, that along with Paul, many other people struggled to accept this mystery that Gentiles are fellow heirs that are partakers of these different promises in Christ Jesus. That shouldn't be hard for us to contemplate. When, when I think about some uh, churches uh, nationwide, worldwide, sometimes it's hard for us to move past a tradition that's 100 years or less. And so no wonder the, the, these Jews are struggling to accept this mystery because for 2,000 years, the Jews were different. The Jews were not enlightened to this mystery, this mystery that these Gentiles, you and I, have the same sort of access to God. And so no wonder Paul and these other Jews struggled to accept this mystery. But this mystery is great news for us, as we ourselves are Gentiles. And so Paul tells us that you and I, we are partakers of these different promises. And now Paul's life, formerly, it revolved around persecuting the, the, these Christians as he was obeying the law of Moses. And now his life revolved around being a minister, sharing this mystery, sharing this gospel message with those around him according to the grace of God. 
And if people are able to reveal this mystery, if Paul is able to reveal this mystery to the Gentiles, it will change their life forever. So Paul continues in verse 10, and Paul writes, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I love this because apparently, even though God didn't inform Abraham, he didn't inform Moses, he didn't inform David, apparently this was all an eternal purpose. God had this all in mind. This wasn't, that some, this wasn't something that God just stumbled upon. He's like, oh, what are we gonna do with these Gentiles? No, God had this plan from the beginning. This was according to the eternal purpose that God realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so God had this plan from the beginning, but God was waiting to reveal this mystery to the people through his son, Christ Jesus, as everything changed with Christ Jesus. We, 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 we do a full 180 turn with Christ Jesus. And similarly, with the arrival of Christ Jesus, now God reveals this mystery that Gentiles are fellow heirs with the Jews, not only fellow heirs with the Jews, but Paul later talks about how we are co-heirs with Christ. That's pretty awesome. That is powerful. And so Paul writes and continues in verse 12, in whom, that's in Christ Jesus, in Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul tells us uh, plainly that, that we can have boldness, we can have confidence through our faith in Jesus Christ. As again, Jesus tore the, the curtain of the temple from top to bottom. Now we can boldly access the throne of God. And so we have confidence in this faith through Jesus. And Paul asked the, the, these Gentile believers, these people in, in, in Ephesus to not lose heart over what he is suffering for them because he truly, he is suffering in prison and it's all because of these Gentiles. It's because of these people that he's writing this letter to is why he is suffering because he was, he was spreading this gospel message to Gentiles like those in Ephesus. But Paul says, don't worry about me, guys. This is for your glory. In other words, Paul says, don't worry about the, the, this temporary struggles that I am going through. There is a reward far greater ahead of me. There, there is a glory to be had in this. And so Paul continues in verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So Paul says, I bow my knees before my father. When is the last time that you have bowed your knees before your heavenly father? And you have physically submitted yourself to Abba Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. 
I love that because there is power in a name. Anytime that, that a uh, guest comes into these doors at church, I try my hardest to remember their names because it means so much to them when you recognize them by name. I encourage you in your day-to-day life, when someone comes through these church doors, try your hardest to memorize their names and greet them by name because there is so much power in a name. We are not just some number like the government knows us by, but God knows us by our names. That is personal. That is powerful. So that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So you and I, as we we are known by name, by our heavenly father, God has given us power. He has strengthened with power through his spirit. Where when we are baptized and we are, when we repent of our sins, Peter talks about this in Acts chapter 2, when we submit to God and his son, Jesus Christ, then we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and we will be strengthened with God's spirit. That's something that, that people around you don't have in them. They, they are not strengthened by God's spirit. But if you repent and, and be baptized and believe that Christ is the Lord, you have God's spirit living within you. And with God's precious and Holy Spirit, you have power. Let me hear you say, I have power. That's right. You have power. You have been strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And I hope you realize the power that you have through God's Holy Spirit. And so Paul writes, so that... You know, we, we, we have been filled with God's Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so here, because of the fact that, that uh, we, we have been filled with Christ or, or with the Holy Spirit, Christ now dwells within us. He, he dwells within our hearts. Paul talks about this in another one of his letters, and he talks about, oh, it's no longer we who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. That's powerful, that Christ lives within us, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And as we close out this chapter, Paul writes in verses 20 and 21, now to him, talking about God, now to God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul says in verse 20, now to him, now to God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work 
within us. So there's a mighty power within us, the, the, the power, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And God, he is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever begin to ask or think. When's the last time that you asked God to do a mighty work? A work that no human being could do. A work that only God the Father could accomplish. When's the last time that you asked him to do something like that? I think too often we neglect to ask God for the big things in life. And a lot of times our prayers, they revolve around, oh, keep, keep us safe, Father, on this uh, journey. Keep us healthy. Keep our families healthy. I'd encourage you, put some faith in your prayers. We're, we're dealing with a mighty God who is capable to do things far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think. And it's time for the church in the 21st century to pray with faith, a faith that our God, he is alive and well, and he is capable of doing far greater things than we could ever begin to ask or imagine. And so I encourage you when you get home today, go to your room, shut the door behind you, kick out your parents, or kick out your kids, your parents, your spouses, whatever it may be, get on your knees and pray to God and ask mighty things in the name of Jesus. Because God is capable to do far greater things than you could ever even begin to ask of him. And Paul says, to God be glory in the church, in the church, this body of believers, be glory to God and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we recognize that you are a mighty God God who is capable to do far greater things than we could ever begin to imagine. So Father, I pray that you help us, that you assist us in praying to you with faith, with a boldness and faith and asking you to do great and mighty works. Father, I pray right now that you do great and mighty works through North Hills Church of God that together, collectively, we as a family, your family, we can accomplish great things on behalf of you and your son and your coming kingdom. And so, Father, I thank you this mystery has been revealed to us today. It's in Christ's precious and holy and powerful and glorious name that we pray. And all the saints said,